There is no sleep. Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 44 Football. As always, I'm your host, John Daigle, and joining me, the man behind the scenes, currently projecting, changing, sifting through everything as it pertains to our never-too-early rankings, live on the site for everyone right now, friend in life, John Paulson. Paulson, how is the first 48 hours of quote-unquote tampering gone for you? It, it hasn't been bad. I would say this morning, since uh, Aaron Rodgers appeared on the Pat McAfee show, it's I've been dealing with a lot of trade compensation, trade leverage experts on Twitter. Uh, I certainly have my point of view, and people follow me, and then they tell me I'm wrong. Uh, I don't have a lot of people coming out and saying, John, you're right, because they just like my tweet, and then they move on with their day. But I get a lot of people that are very passionate about the fact that the the Packers have no trade leverage uh, in my mentions here for the last half hour as I was getting ready for this uh, live stream. So I'm excited to talk about some other topics today, John. Are you? Actually, very excited because I think there's been a lot of important movement that we will get to. We will save some important names like Ezekiel Elliott being cut in the fallout for Tony Pollard, Judas Mishuster signing with the Patriots, and much, much more for Thursday's episode because we, you and I are going to pack in two episodes back-to-back on Wednesday and Thursday for everyone to make sure we sweep and have our spin on every signing. But there's a lot to get to from that first Monday through Tuesday window. And I want to start with the trade that shook the 2023 NFL draft completely up. And the Bears, as we expected, moving out from the number one overall pick to the Panthers for not only the number nine overall pick, but also the second round selection, number 53 overall, and this year's draft, number 61 overall, actually. And then next year's first and second round pick from Carolina as well to go along with DJ Moore. Moore, of course, will be 26 years old throughout this upcoming season. No more guaranteed money left on his contract. So I would argue an amazing player to have under contract and to grow with your what you are hoping is your franchise quarterback. And on top of all of that, I think it's easily arguable that there is no Gigi Moore among this rookie wide receiver class. So no matter where the Bears picked anyways, they weren't going to find a better wide receiver than Moore among all the options, Jackson Smith and Jigba included. So knowing all of this, what are your thoughts on DJ Moore and Justin Fields together in 2023 with Chicago? Yeah, interesting point you brought up about the rookie class and getting more in this year. It's also, look at the free agent class. It's not great either. So this was a, a good get for them. Uh, we've been, we've been as fantasy analysts, waiting for DJ Moore to be freed or to get a good quarterback or something or other to happen with him. Uh, from 2019 to 2021, he had three straight 1,100-plus yard seasons. Uh, last year, you know, in theory, was going to be an upgrade to Baker Mayfield. That certainly did not pan out. He finished with 63 uh, catches for 888 yards and seven touchdowns. The seven touchdowns was a, a career high, uh, but uh, you know that 888 yards is well below his previous three seasons. I think you look at this, and we're now we're in another in theory situation with Moore's stock because, in theory, Justin Fields is an upgrade. Uh, to anybody he's had over the last three or four years other than, I guess, Cam Newton. Um, but it's still theory. We don't know exactly what Justin Fields is. We have some signal that he could be good. 
Uh, the Bears didn't trust him really early last season to throw the ball much, but over the second half of the season, he threw the ball more. Uh, his pass attempts were starting to get close to 30 a game uh, or closer to, you know, closer to 30, not quite 30 a game. But uh, so in theory, this is good. This is a good move for DJ Moore. He gets some stability at quarterback. Uh, it, it could still backfire on him if Fields is not what we hope or think he might be. Um, but I think I didn't move him up a whole lot in the rankings because my thinking was that uh, the Panthers were going to have an improved quarterback uh, situation next year, regardless. So, uh, you know, ending up with somebody like Fields was probably uh, definitely within the range of co- outcomes for the Panthers heading into 2023. So I did move him up a little bit. Uh, but he's still ranked uh, wide receiver 22 as a low-end uh, uh, wide receiver two with some mid-range wide receiver two upside. Justin Fields, of course, being drafted as a top-five quarterback right now, which makes sense on underdog. Given that, once Luke Getzey figured out how to design and concertedly scheme more runs for Fields across his last 11 starts, that's when he'd rattled off a QB1, a top 12 finish, and 10 of his last 11 starts, including five top five finishes and two overall QB1 finishes, both coming against the Lions where he rushed for over 100 yards against. Having said that, I did want to try and put regression into context because remember, the Bears averaged not only a league low 22.2 pass chance per game, which is even funny saying that out loud, but that was actually the fewest and the first time any team averaged less than 23 pass attempts per game since the 1979 Chiefs, which I don't remember. I was still a, a afterthought in a bottle of booze, most likely. But prior to last season, because it's hard to, to put the Bears' 22 attempts into a bucket and say, how will this regress and will it regress? Will it increase? What we do know, though, if we bump up the rates a little bit, prior to last year, 16 teams averaged 28 pass attempts or less since 2011, basically 12 years worth of sample. And among those 16 teams, 13 increased in average pass attempts per game the following year, averaging four more pass attempts per game. Not only that, but those 16 teams averaged 31.4 pass attempts the next season. So we are thinking just logically, in terms of play calling regression, the Bears are going to pass more. And if we are getting that, with field design runs for an entire 17-game slate. Honestly, Paulson, that's top two quarterback territory. Yeah, I think Fields is certainly justified to be in the top five. That's where I have him right now. I have him uh, behind Allen, Mahomes, uh, Jalen Hurts, and Joe Burrow at the moment. Uh, I'm looking at his game log, and he started the season with 17, 11, and 17 pass attempts. And it was it was week four against the Giants where he finally crested 20 pass attempts. And he didn't he didn't go below that number the rest of the season, but he also didn't throw for more than uh, 30. So he never got to 30 pass attempts. So you're just looking at you're probably going to see uh, somewhere in the range of since he averaged 21.2, you're probably going to see him in the range of about 25 pass attempts. And then if you're adding in maybe eight runs to 10 runs a game, you're, you certainly are going to have a very good fantasy asset there on a weekly basis. If you're locked into 44.com right now, you also saw that among our free articles in the free agency tracker, completely free, uh, our player profiles for fantasy, completely free on the site right now as well. On the free agent tracker, though, as I wrote, Tremaine Edmonds, T.G. Edwards, 
combined for 62 million guaranteed among linebacker. Some people were upset about that. But remember, the Bears had a league high in cap space coming into the new league year, and they have a threshold to reach. That's the important part. So getting a player like Tremaine Edmonds, even for what would normally be considered egregious for an off-ball linebacker, four-year, $72 million deal, again, the Bears have to reach a certain number. So it's inconsequential that they gave this money to players that can help in what was the league's worst front seven over the second half of the season once they traded all their important players like Roquan Smith, like Robert Quinn, in the second half of the year. But if you are locked into the free agent tracker and profiles, you also saw the Bears moved on from David Montgomery as he signs a three-year, $18 million contract with the Lions. And I think that team, Paulson, is important to note because that is an organization that just got 1,000 yards and 17 touchdowns from him. And they had enough confidence in David Montgomery, not only to go ahead and sign him, rather than continuing to negotiate through a new deal with Jamal Williams, who they loved, but they also gave David Montgomery $11 million in guaranteed money, which is quietly the fourth most guaranteed money of any running back since 2020 in the free agent market. I think that tells you how much confidence they have in him and replacing him for Jamal Williams. So what are your thoughts on David Montgomery, who I'm expecting to lead this backfield in touches this year? Yeah, you look at the age of the the two players, and I think they saw an opportunity depending on what Jamal Williams was asking for. Jamal Williams is going to turn uh, 28 here in April, and uh, Montgomery doesn't turn 26 until June, so he's two years younger. Uh, I would say talent-wise, and maybe you have a different opinion, but they're pretty similar players. Neither one of them are burners. They're both bigger backs, but they are both can catch the ball. I think Montgomery will just take over this Jamal Williams uh, role and uh, you know either be the RB1A or RB1B with DeAndre Swift and it seems like they are reluctant to give Swift too much work uh, he hasn't been able to stay healthy uh, even when he came back and was in theory healthy not on the injury report you know last year he wasn't seeing uh, heavy touches in, with any consistency so I think they want to use him in spots and they need to have another running back that's talented in order to kind of execute their running game, which is really strong. So this really did help uh, Montgomery's stock quite a bit because we go from, uh, you know, being the RB one in Chicago, you know, limited uh, offense, limited scoring uh, to uh, a pretty potent lions running game. And uh, we saw how many touchdowns uh, Williams scored. So I wondered if if, uh, Evan Silva, our friend, We'll be placing a bet on Montgomery to score the most uh, touchdowns this season because uh, you probably get decent odds right now. Where do Swift and Montgomery now move in your never too early rankings for all subscribers on the site? Because I think there is a bit of an argument to be made for rushing touchdown production declining for the Lions this year. Uh, I wonder if it's actually sticky that they will lead the league in both carries and touchdowns from the one-yard line again, where Jared Goff only threw five passes from the one-yard line. I don't think that can sustain. But as we mentioned earlier, at the same time, I am fully expecting Montgomery to lead this backfield in touches this year. Yeah, I mean, I think you can bet that they'll have a lot of goal line carries. I mean, there's not much changing here. They still have a great offensive line. They still have Jared Goff at quarterback, so it's not like they're going to start suddenly throwing from inside the five. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, you know, regression might come sort of naturally, but you still might see them with 15 plus rushing touchdowns. 
I have Swift right now at 17. I have Montgomery at 21. And it's just tough to put Montgomery over Swift because I like Swift as a player so much more. But I think it, in real in you know realistic terms, I don't think the chances uh, that Montgomery is going to outscore Swift are negli- negligible. It might be better than 50-50 because you're talking about the touches. You're talking about the goal line back. And he also can catch the ball. So, And you have Swift who's a little bit injury prone. So it, it is dicey taking him, but you're just hoping that one of these years you get Swift for 17 games. And you can see what he can do in 10 to 15 touches per game because he is he's really talented. Uh, I, I think they're both RB2s. And uh, whether or not you want to shoot for upside or shoot for that floor is, is probably the decision between those two. And even as someone who I had to check last night has drafted him in 60% of best ball teams so far, uh, I can certainly tell you it is worrisome that Swift is a day two player who had single digit touches in six of his last 10 games, not the best outlook for him with Montgomery in the lineup. Now, another big shakeup for an entire organization over the last 48 hours was Aaron Rodgers grandstanding, even though he swears he doesn't want the attention on the Pat McAfee show saying that he has intended since last week to play for the New York jets. And now it really just comes down to the compensation the Packers want in return. But overall, Paulson, it looks like Aaron Rodgers will, in fact, be playing with the New York Jets and his old running mate, Alan Lazard, who signed for a four-year, $44 million contract during the tampering window. So discuss the Jets' offense and outlook for 2023. And maybe, Yeah, maybe you can comment on whether or not you think Corey Davis will be back. There's, I, I got shot down. They can down save $10.5 million by cutting him. I would think he's gone. Okay, so I guess the other key piece then is Elijah Moore, whether or not he comes over to the Packers in this trade, it would be good for the Packers to get another good young receiver for Jordan Love in, in that situation. But you're looking at the the weapons for Rodgers and Garrett Wilson, Rookie of the Year. Um, Alan Lazard is a fine second, third option. Uh, whether or not Corey Davis remains or Moore is maybe that third player, uh, rounding out the receiving core there. It, it, they have a couple of tight ends that are decent, uh, Uzuma and uh, Tyler Conklin, if I remember correctly. And they have good uh, good uh, pass-catching backs uh, with Brees Hall and uh, Michael Carter. So it's a nice set of weapons. They have a pretty good offensive line. they got a great defense. I, I don't know that Rodgers is, you know, watching him this year, he was sort of hamstrung by his receiving core. I, I tweeted out that uh, the beginning of the end of the Rodgers era was when uh, Devontae Adams requested a trade because that really put them in a tough spot at the receiver position without having their their stud. Uh, and he was just sort of playing with a short deck first half of the season, and things kind of got going uh, with Christian Watson midseason. Uh, but the offense was never really rolling. I think he'll be really motivated to – prove the naysayers wrong. It, it just felt like things in, in Green Bay were getting a little bit stale and that he wasn't going to come back and have an MVP-type year or a Super Bowl run, just given the way things were ending and kind of wrapping up last season. So with that all said, I think he has a chance, uh, given the quarterback landscape, uh, he will have a chance for low-end QB1 numbers. Uh, you know, he, he, We're looking at guys right now like Tua, we're not sure about his overall health at 10, Geno Smith at 11, Daniel Jones at 12, Kirk Cousins at 13. You know, Kyler Murray's going to be on the shelf for p- first part of the season. We don't know what Deshaun Watson uh, has left. Uh, you know, he was really pretty bad last year, and we're, we're kind of counting on him to shake that rust off and become a good player again. 
uh, Russell Wilson. Uh, we don't know what, what's going to happen with him and Sean Payton. So I think Rodgers is in that sort of group uh, where he has a wide range of outcomes and he could end up giving uh, low-end QB1 value given the improvement of his of his weapons from year to year. And remember, you know, two years ago he was MVP. Three years ago he was MVP, finishing in the top five uh, fantasy quarterback. So it's it, there is a chance a motivated Rodgers that's hungry and and if, they, if they're willing to throw the ball, uh, he could certainly uh, return low end QB one numbers. I think this is obviously good for for Garrett Wilson, big upgrade at quarterback uh, for him. Uh, Lazard's, you know, looking at wide receiver three, wide receiver four type value if he's the number two target there. My concern is what you mentioned, because a lot of people are citing that an Aaron Rodgers bounce back year, but you can't quantify it. Everyone is basically saying because of spite, because of the hate in his heart, that's why he's going to have a great season. When last year, as you mentioned, he was burnt out. He was tapped out. Uh, one top 12 finish all year long does not provide any rushing floor. We're going to get a surgence of Anthony Richardson, of CJ Stroud, who can compete for a top 12 quarterback solely by rushing. Like this old guard is getting pushed out of fantasy altogether. And that's what concerns me about Rodgers. But really, I don't think people are asking about Rodgers. I, I think what's more important is to get your ranking on and the fallout of Garrett Wilson and Alan Lazard together. Because I swear to you, I sat at that pre Asian tracker for 20 minutes thinking of something to write about Alan Lazard. And there were two sentences that came up. One, he's a dog. Like he's obviously one of the best run blockers. In the Talent will in no way in hell usurp Garrett Wilson, in my opinion. I do think it's notable that the chemistry between him and Rodgers is important. That from week 10 on, that Cowboys game on last year, Lazard quietly out-targeted Christian Watson, 6.7 per game to 4.7 targets per game. So it's clear that Rodgers trusts Lazard. Now, does that give him a ceiling? I don't think so. I think we're looking at more sporadic, unpredictable spike weeks for him as a high floor option. But what are your thoughts on Wilson and Lazard? Yeah, I don't think Wilson was, or I'm sorry, Lazard was built to be the number one option for a real NFL team. I think he's... A complimentary guy. He can get open. As you mentioned, he's well known for his uh, great run blocking. So Rogers likes him. So he'll get his he'll get his four to seven targets per game, I think, in that range. Uh, and we'll have a couple of, of breakout weeks. Uh, he'll, he'll have some touchdowns. Uh, but Wilson is the star of this offense. This he's the he's the star of this receiving core. I mean, I think heading into this season, we thought Elijah Moore might be. Uh, Pop, it could hold on to that number one role or could be a, a 1A or 1B to, to Wilson's 1A uh, or vice versa. But uh, as the season wore on, uh, Wilson certainly outshined more and more was basically just a disappointment in this offense last year. So um, I think Wilson is a you're looking at high end wide receiver two with low end wide receiver one type upside, given he has a, a, a capable quarterback now. I mean, you know, he was getting passes thrown to him from Zach Wilson, Mike White, uh, Joe Flacco. Uh, and we're going from that to Rogers who he, he does have a, uh, declining, uh, production, but I think he's still uh, a big upgrade over those, uh, players I just mentioned. So, um, I think, uh, you're looking at Wilson probably going in the third, uh, fourth round, uh, and, uh, with this upgrade, but we'll have to see how the rest of this, uh, jets, uh, receiving core, uh, shape shapes up. And it seems like I've lost John Daigle, who will be back here momentarily. Uh, so let me just pontificate on the uh, Rogers uh, 
and the Packers uh, leverage. I got into a couple of tiffs on Twitter, people telling me I'm uh, a biased Packer fan because I think the Packers still have leverage in this. I don't think that his appearance on the Pat McAfee show really uh, changes the, the dynamic. Uh, everybody knows that uh, there is a trade in the works, and now that he has said that he wants to play for the Jets and the Jets want him, uh, I don't think that really puts the Packers in a bad situation. They have until September 1st uh, before the bonus money needs to be paid out. And uh, I think they can wait and make sure that they get a fair compensation. Um, I, I don't see that there's any rush to this, but uh, I'm sure this will be looked at from every angle. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping for a first-round pick. Uh, but if it was a second and Elijah Moore, maybe a conditional pick based on whether or not uh, – Rogers uh, plays multiple seasons uh, for the uh, uh, for the for the Jets. That would be good. Uh, if you have any questions, if you're watching live, if you have any questions, go ahead and ask because I'm uh, I'm vamping right now, waiting for uh, Mr. Degler to get back. The live audience got a treat in seeing me reset my modem. Uh, this will be edited out in the podcast, obviously. Moving on to another organization with a massive shakeup in the last 24 hours. The Raiders fallout from Jimmy Garoppolo. Yes, a three-year, $72.5 million contract roughly on the surface. But remember, you need to look at the dead cap money, basically. And the first year, a quarterback can get cut and save money for that team against the cap. That tells you really how long their deal is. Because that tells you the amount of time they have to prove they should be on the team and not be expendable in order to save money on their behalf. And for Jimmy Garoppolo, it's basically a one-year deal. Since next offseason even, the Raiders can save roughly $9 million by just cutting him if he doesn't pan out this year. But beyond Jimmy Garoppolo, we also had Jacoby Myers signed for $11 million annually. We had Darren Waller traded to the Giants. And now we believe, with Garoppolo in the fold, that this team has just suddenly become Josh McDaniel's reimagination of a Patriots offense, which does not sound sexy in particular. Yes, Garoppolo finished seventh in the league last year, ninth in the league overall in yards per attempt from 11 personnel. The Raiders only ran 11 personnel, three wide sets at the 15th highest rate in the league. So we're expecting that rate to surge. But overall, let's talk about the fallout here, beginning with Devontae Adams from Garoppolo, because Right now, Adams is being drafted as the overall wide receiver seven within the first 10 picks of the underdog big board draft. What are your thoughts on if Adams can hold on to mid-low-end wide receiver one status from Jimmy G? You know, I think he can. I think he's that good. Uh, I don't see Garoppolo as a big downgrade from Derek Carr, 2022 Derek Carr. Uh, they're, they're actually similar fantasy players in that they, you know, throw for their 230 to 250 yards, uh, some touchdowns, and then uh, don't add anything as runners. So the, the pass attempts should be there. There's not a lot of taking off and running with Jimmy Garoppolo. He is, he's interested. He'll be interesting to watch heading into this season in terms of his overall stats, because he's been well over eight yards per attempt for most of his career and the question is, is that a function of the Shanahan offense in San Francisco or is that, you know, Jimmy G has a sort of talent? He did average uh, eight yards per attempt in his last season with the Patriots, but it was only on 63 pass attempts. Uh, he had uh, four touchdowns, no interceptions and roughly two games there. So if 
he's gonna, you know, he's got a pretty nice hand dealt to him. He's going back to Josh McDaniels, who's familiar with, he's familiar with his offense, et cetera. And he's got a nice uh, receiving core for the most part, even even after the uh, Darren, Darren Waller trade. We'll see what they do with uh, uh, their their backup uh, tight end. I'm blanking on his name right now, but uh, he was pretty good well, in stances. Go ahead. Well, Foster Foster Moreau, that's the thing, is also, is also a free agent right now. He's a free agent, so, yeah. Unrestricted, too. So that's why I'm assuming more three-wide sets for them this year. And honestly, I am stagnant. Like, I... I think Adams ADP is right on the mark. I'm okay with that still being in that mid wide receiver one range because remember, yes, Garoppolo has not been a good deep passer. And of course, 41% of Adams receiving yards last year occurred on throws 21 yards or 20 yards downfield. But at the same time, Adams was sandwiched a career high 30% of his targets last year in his first year under McDaniels and that intermediate level of the field, 10 to 19 yards out. And the intermediate level of the field is a Garoppolo the last two seasons with San Francisco has completed 64% of his passes compared to Carr, who ranked 29th with 52% of his passes completed there last year. So it's at least an upgrade into that high floor reception range, hoping Adams can just get yak after that. And so that's why I, I'm still high on Adams. What about the ancillary players here, though? Because people will w- definitely want to jam in Jacoby Myers as a high floor option. And your thoughts on Hunter Renfro's fallout with Waller out the picture. Yeah, if they with Waller out of the picture, I'm a little bit more bullish on Jacoby Myers. I think if you looked at Waller there with Adams and Hunter Renfro and Myers probably as a replacement or an upgrade over Hunter Renfro, uh, it's hard to see Myers seeing the sort of target volume that he saw in New England uh, alongside Devontae Adams. But with Waller out of the way, it's possible that he could see seven to eight targets per game and, and be fairly productive in that role. I think Jacoby Myers was the best uh, pure receiver of this uh, free agent class and a good route runner and really productive in his, his time with New England. Uh, but playing alongside Adams tends to, to you know depress your your volume. And he was going, he's going from the number one receiver in new England to the number two option at best, uh, uh, with, with Vegas. So, uh, he'll be, he'll be ranked, you know, in that probably in that 35 to 50 range, depending on what they do at tight end. Uh, if they keep, if they retain Foster Moreau, which I think is a possibility now, given the fact that Waller is gone, uh, then I think Foster Moreau will be kind of a sleeper breakout, uh, tight end possibility for, in, for fantasy purposes. What about, I actually wanted to ask that, Waller, because we are all trying to figure out the right approach at tight end since Travis Kelsey clearly finished with four more points per game at his position than the tight end two, George Kittle in points per game last year. To me, it's not even about Waller, honestly. It's about Saquon Barkley losing some value because ever since the combine, whenever... Brian Dable and Joe Shane reiterated three to five times, I believe, that the number one priority this offseason was getting receivers for Daniel Jones. Uh, That tells you that Saquon Barkley was never going to lead his team in targets again. As Saquon Barkley, who finished fourth highest among all running backs and share of team targets, was not going to do that again. So not only does Waller take away from that and from Barkley, in my opinion, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think they're still two more big signings to come for Daniel Jones to play around Isaiah Hodgins. So your thoughts on Waller and where he fits in in your early rankings. 
Yeah, I mean the tight end landscape's pretty rough. He's a good he's a good uh, pass catching tight end, so I've got him as a low end uh, tight end one. Uh, didn't really change his his outlook going from Garoppolo to Daniel Jones in with the Giants. I think that there there are more targets up for grabs. I think you alluded to that with the Giants, given the state of their receiving core. But they're going to get R- Wandale Robinson back. Uh, they did find something, I think, in Hodgins. They like him quite a bit. They re-signed Sterling Shepard, who has never averaged, uh, if my memory serves, uh, less than 50 yards uh, receiving since his rookie uh, season. He just has had trouble staying healthy the last couple seasons. But I think that goes for Waller as well. So there is still a path, I think, for Barkley to really return high-end RB1 uh, value if some of these guys get nicked up like they have have been getting nicked up. I mean, Waller has played 17 total games the last two seasons, uh, nine, I'm sorry, it's 20, 20 total games the last two seasons, 11 in 2021 and nine in uh, 2022. And his, uh, his production declined last year to 43 yards per game. I think that's something that had to do and sort of underlines my point, previous point about Devonte Adams coming into an offense and the sort of target share that he demands. Uh, but I think, I think Waller, you know, he's, he's entering his age 31 season. He has a chance for, uh, a, a big role there, uh, given the, the nature of that uh, receiving core right now. And yes, Renfro has performed significantly better without Waller on the field in the past, but I don't think that trend upholds, given that we are now adding Jacoby Meyer to the mix. Adams, of course, being their new X receiver who's supposed to win routes. Myers, who is supposed to do all the dirty work as a high floor option from the slot and will split out wide. Actually second in the league, by the way, in yards per route run from the outside last year on very, very limited routes run. And then, of course, Renfro will come in to help move the chains on third down. But in my opinion, Renfro certainly the third option and the loser from the Myers edition. You spoke of running backs being nicked up. And the poster boy of that is none other than Rashad Penny, a very affordable one year, roughly up to $3 million contract added to Philadelphia's backfield alongside Kenneth Gainwell and Boston Scott, who was brought back on a one year, $2 million deal. And I'm trying to temper my expectations for Penny because I really do believe the Eagles aren't done and will add someone of significance in their backfield. But upon initial glance, it's it's obviously hard not to get excited uh, led all running backs and yards after contact for a 10th last season over the last two years is second only to Nick Chubb and rate of runs to go 10 plus yards and has five overall RB1 finish or RB1 finishes in his last nine full games, including two RB1 finishes on the week. So now playing behind the best offensive line of his entire career, where do you stand on Penny in 2023? Well, they re-signed Boston Scott which was kind of an under, I don't know, under underappreciated or it's kind of under the radar type of a signing. So I think they might be done at, at running back. Uh, Penny, Boston Scott, Kenneth Gainwell as the trio with with Penny basically replacing uh, Miles Sanders and Miles Sanders basically saying that he's moving on and whatever, thanks for everything. So I think what happened, maybe they he was asking for too much money. They went, they, they went out and found a bargain in Penny because he can't stay healthy and uh, they're hoping that a new training staff and a new uh you know one-year contract for him will uh, help him stay healthy this season so i'm really interested to see where his adp lands because from a talent standpoint you mentioned it all the metrics say that he is outstanding 
in terms of it being a talent uh, at the running back position. So can he stay healthy? And if he's going in the fifth, sixth round, then I think that there's a ton of upside. There's league winning type upside given the uh, offensive line for the Eagles, the the strength of that running game, the the number of times they're in the red zone, uh, goal line carries available potentially for him. Uh, he could have a big, big year. And and Miles Sanders had a big year. He was, he was a, a very good pick in that fifth, sixth round this last season, uh, outperformed a lot uh, of other players in that uh, so-called RB dead zone. So uh, uh, it's hard not to get excited. You just look at his uh, injury history, though, and I think that's going to depress his ADP a little bit. I, 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 you know, I think the fifth, fourth round would be probably too much, but uh, maybe fifth, sixth round, it's, it's time to pull the trigger on Rashad Penny. And yes, I do believe Penny, who oddly enough was never injured, didn't miss a single game in college, will could be injured with Philadelphia. You're going to hear that a lot argument a lot from people throughout the offseason, but it doesn't matter when you're running back Will Fuller. When you can literally win your week on a moment's notice by simply staying healthy, that's a player you draft. And you mentioned his ADP. I know he was going in the 14th round prior to being signed and over the last 48 hours and we have a very small sample i've seen him go as early as the seventh round so i think people are very high i probably just think there's another incoming addition given not only philadelphia's draft capital but just the way they use their backfield maybe also i i just don't want to be let down uh, i don't i don't want to get too high because i will get very high on penny if you allow me to um someone though i will not be getting high on at all is Tampa Bay receivers after Baker Mayfield signed a prove it deal one year, eight and a half million to compete with Kyle Trask. I don't know if you think they're done now under center. I somewhat believe they could be. And so I'm past the being worried stage for Chris Goblin and Mike Evans. I always forget what's the highest level of DEFCON. Is it DEFCON two? That's the highest the United States has reached, right? Uh, that's, that's the highest we've reached. I believe DEFCON one is the highest. Okay. Right? I'm in DEFCON. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to say I'm in DEFCON one. I am in DEFCON two with Godwin and Evans, given that they are not only going to be catching passes from Mayfield or Trask, but the volume is not there anymore. Like the Bucks led the league in pass plays per game the last two years, over 43 in each of those seasons. And now you have Mayfield and Trask. It's not going to happen. So not only will you be depending on inefficient throws, you won't get volume either, in my opinion. So I'm out on the Bucks receivers entirely. Where do you stand in your ranking so far? Well, I think it... <sighs> A lot of it comes down. I mean, I I don't think that Baker Mayfield. I'm no longer at the school that he's going to be an upgrade over anything anymore. Like he seems like, like he went into Carolina. It was kind of a disaster. He did pretty well with the with McVeigh and the Rams. So you know, kudos to McVeigh for getting that out of him. But I don't have any trust now in Mayfield being an upgrade over Cal Trask. Cal uh, Trask is a former. I mean, I, I'd love to hear your opinion on him. I don't know much about him. I don't watch a lot of college football. But he was a former second round pick. Uh, by the Bucks, he had 44,283 yards passing and 43 touchdowns against eight interceptions, completed 69% of his passes, uh, 9.8 yards per attempt. I mean, that all sounds pretty good. What What's the knock on him that he can't come in and provide like Tom Brady light, 45-year-old Tom Brady light type numbers? He was a turnover machine and his final year at Florida. I'd have to go back and read my profile on him. I believe it's on the site. 
Uh, he had eight. He had eight interceptions. So what about fumbles? Some, I'm looking. I could I be wrong. I, I need to, I need to go find my profile. Uh, but I know it's not a player I am uh, concerned about. Okay. So, uh, well, I mean, we'll see. They said that it was interesting that they said that he would have started if Brady hadn't come back. Uh, yet, Blaine Gabbert was always the one that was active on game day. That doesn't like show a lot of confidence in him. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think also you you alluded to it. Like they're they're going to run the ball more. Uh, Brady was one of the highest volume, if not the highest volume, quarterback last two seasons there in Tampa, and they're probably going to go to more of a ball control defense type uh, attack. So that's going to that's going to hurt uh, Mike Evans and, and Chris Godwin as well. Love love them as receivers, but from fantasy assets, they're certainly uh, declining in value with Brady's retirement. Another big winner in free agency, I believe, is Samaji P. Ryan, recruited to the Broncos by Sean Payton for a two-year, seven-and-a-half-million contract. And I still think it's going overlooked that this will be Javante Williams' J.K. Dobbins season and that he's going to be overdrafted for a player that has high, if not probable, odds of being healthy scratched in week one and just not performing at all and being brought along slowly after an ACL tear. So understanding that Piran has handled the workload in the past, as recently as last year, he made two spot starts for Joe Mixon, averaged 24 touches per game. I mentioned Lazard being a, a grinder. Piran also a true dog in the NFL. So I think he's a big winner in joining Denver. Yeah, it really has. It depends most on uh, Javante Williams' knee. Uh, his recovery. And, you know, last we heard, and you mentioned it, I think on Twitter that we are in on track season, quote unquote, on track season where everybody's everyone's on track. On track. Just ask the coach. Yeah. Uh, so we shall see as to where he uh, is at in a month or two. But I think, you know, investing in P Ryan uh, right now is a good idea. I don't, it just depends where his ADP lands, but if he's double digit rounds, I think that's a really good value. Uh, for a player who might start for the first half of the season or see quite a bit of time. And then and then Javante Williams uh, runs the risk of kind of being in and out of the lineup, on and off the injury report, uh, missing some games later on, et cetera, because of complications with the knee. He had a late uh, injury, late season injury, and just it's really hard for these guys to turn it around and be 100% by week one and be ready to go, or even by week four. So if they push it too quickly... Uh, and he has a setback, that's kind of what happened to Dobbins, and you end up with other players coming in, Ken Kenyon Drake, et cetera, coming in and having huge games for the Ravens. The same thing could happen with P. Ryan, and he's usually available, and he's also, like in terms of being uh, available to play, and he's also a good pass catcher. So, yeah, I think he uh, will probably fly under the radar uh, for most of the offseason with this on-track uh, discussion uh, with Javante Williams. We will certainly be avoiding Javante Williams, who is being drafted anywhere from the 6th to 8th round until we get actual news that matters on his injury, because right now we should all be concerned. And finally, something that didn't move the needle too much, the Dolphins did reportedly call about Dalvin Cook, who I, I thought there was a really good chance he would get cut, considering he could save the Vikings roughly $9 million to make some moves. Uh, Dolphins called about him reportedly, didn't get anything done, and ended up re-signing both 
Raheem Mostert and Jeff Wilson. Although I think it's significant that Mostert got over 2 million more guaranteed money than Jeff Wilson. So your thoughts on the two returning to Miami? I think uh, they favor, they favor Mostert. Uh, I think we we could see that last season with the way they were used, but he is a little bit uh, injury prone in terms of, uh, and his, his age is there too. So uh, both players will have some games. Uh, they're going to probably be going in the eighth to 12th round uh, between the two of them, depending on where their relative health is in the summer. But uh, I would favor Mostert as sort of the upside play who's going to give you some big, big weeks and, uh, if he's able to stay healthy. Uh, so that's, that's the question there. And, and on that, on that Minnesota discussion, you know, is Alexander Madison still going like 12th, 13th round uh, in ADP? Because if he is, he's a free agent. We have Dalvin cook possibly on the chopping block, uh, or they maybe trade him away. It, does Madison end up sticking in, in with the Vikings as their RB one, does he go somewhere else as their RB one? Because he's like one of the most talented free agent running backs on the market. Um, double digit draft pick right now. I think that's a tremendous value. I completely agree with you. The issue though, for Madison is that like Austin Eckler requesting a trade, it's just not the right time. There are no spots available. Uh, that's why I worry about Bijan Robinson, about Jameer Gibbs, because where can these guys play? Like we don't have openings right now for running backs in the NFL. Uh, so th that's my only concern about Alexander Madison and, and maybe Dalvin cook then just sticking around. There's a couple of comments and questions that maybe from the comment section, maybe we could touch on since these people have stuck with us uh, for the live stream, but Khalil Herbert, we didn't really touch on him uh, with David Montgomery uh, moving on. Uh, I, I tweeted out, and I wonder what you think on this too. It's like we do get excited about these guys when the, the job seems to open up, and then all of a sudden, somebody else is signed. Like this is a situation where Madison could go to Chicago and kind of screw over Herbert. But we should be excited about Herbert. People say dynasty people tell me it's time to sell. For me, it's time to move him up my redraft rankings because it does appear that the path is clear for him to be the RB one there. And he has shown, I love these guys that have shown that they can do it for a stretch and be productive players. So that's where I'm at on it. But yes, he needs to, I've been burned on this a few times. He needs to survive the draft and free agency and, and hope that they don't bring anybody in who's as good or better than him. What do you, what do you think, John? Herbert is a player that does everything well. And I would be more than excited if he was given the workload and, Early on in free agency, that's what it appears to be, since all they've done is still have Tristan Ebner, a inconsequential day three selection from last year, and they added Travis Homer, who's led Seattle's backfield in third and fourth down pass routes the last two years. But even Homer, two years, four million, not money that mattered. My concern is, as I mentioned at the top of the show, all the draft picks they got back, and now suddenly have four picks in the first 63 selections in this year's draft. That's where I think they add the talent. And so that's why I'm lukewarm on Herbert right now. Not for his talent, but because I really do think we're going to get some impactful draft capital there in April. And then Ronnie Johnson in the chat asked about Mixon. Maybe you could put it up on the screen there. Uh, Joe Mixon's had some off-the-field uh, trouble. Just a little bit, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the question is, do the Bengals cut him? Uh, and if, if the outside football issues are resolved, where would you like to see Mixon land? 
I wonder about this now that Samaj P. Ryan has moved on. Like, do do the Bengals really part ways with Mixon at this point and start over at the running back position? I know they re-signed Trayvon Williams, right? Uh, do they? Aggie great Trayvon Williams re-signed him. They still have Chris Evans on the roster, but then we're asking, is Trayvon and Evans enough in place of Mixon? And the answer is no. Having said that, that that maybe brings them into the RB sweepstakes. Uh, because they can save pretty much the same exact money as the Cowboys did in cutting Ezekiel Elliott if they move on the Bengals from Joe Mixon. So I definitely still think that's a high possibility. Uh, they don't. The Bengals don't strike me as an organization that is uh, too concerned about uh, off the field issues. Uh, they seem to take on troubled players. Uh, so I don't know if they're actually going to cut him or not. So if, obviously, I think the best thing for him is to stay. Uh, especially with P Ryan out of the way. Um, but where would he land? That's really, that really underlines your point, John, about the fact that there aren't a whole lot of openings available. So if he gets cut, where does he go where he can uh, see his value uh, stay the same or increase uh, or not take too much of a hit? Because right now I've got him ranked as a mid to low, low end RB2, but that's just because I don't know where he's going to be. And Joe Mixon's ADP is currently baked into the outcome of him not being in Cincinnati since he's going in the mid-sixth round on underdog right now. Paulson, anything else coming out ahead of our next episode on Thursday for everyone? Well, our fearless leader, Luis, wants me to get this Aaron Rodgers to the Jets uh, player profile. Our, our fearless up, leader so is doing a lot of yelling in the background right now. <laughs> so he, he wants these player profiles up. ASAP. So, I, you know, the trade's not done. It, it looks likely to happen. So I will put together something this week. And then I will have a uh, another podcast with you tomorrow. So join us at the same time, same bad channel uh, tomorrow to discuss the rest of the free agent news. And then I'll also be doing a free agency winners and losers probably next week uh, to just to discuss some of these players whose value has gone up or down based on uh, some of these signings. For fantasy, as Paulson mentioned, profiles free. Free agency tracker, free. Join the site. What are you doing? Jump in now. And we will be back yet again with the rest of offensive signings, fallouts from free agency tomorrow, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern. So until then, you know, be a little bit kinder than what's required. We'll see you next time. If I can find one.